Well, this morning we're going to be starting our summer series together. We're going to be spending the summer looking at the Psalms, and so we are going to get started in Psalm chapter 1. We're taking a brief break from Mark, and we'll jump back into Mark uh, later on, probably in August. Uh, But let me go ahead and pray for us as we approach this time. Father, we thank you for the opportunity as your children uh, to gather around your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. You have told us all about the love you have for us, the good news of our salvation through the person of your son. We pray that we will see him clearly and worship and celebrate him with our hearts and our minds fully this morning. We ask, Spirit, that you will work that uh, in our midst and in our hearts. It's a miracle that we need. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we jump into Psalm chapter 1, we're also jumping into this study of the Psalms, uh, and I'm not going to spend much time this morning talking about the book of Psalms. I actually want to steer you towards uh, a, a series of videos by the Bible Project. We're going to link to those uh, on Realm this afternoon, but the Bible Project has just some introductory videos about how to read the Psalms and how the Psalms are organized. That's a great resource for you and your family to take a look at so you can better understand kind of what this inspired poetry, inspired songbook is all about. Now, one way that they describe it in the, in the Bible Project is they call the Psalms a virtual temple or a literary temple. It is poems and songs that draw us into God's presence in worship. And they also help us express our own hearts and wrestle with our own hearts in the presence of God. And so it's a beautiful gathering of poems and songs. And they range from King David all the way to poets during the exile. And so they really are a songbook for a people uh, who were, it was used primarily uh, after and during the exile when there was no temple where you could gather for worship. Those songs drew you into the presence even when you couldn't go into the presence of God in the temple. So it's a beautiful gathering of poems that are meant to challenge and encourage sojourners, people who are walking this earth, loved by God, loving God, and wanting to grow in relationship with him. So it's great for us and for every other believer from every generation. Now, as I'm about to read Psalm 1 for us, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are kind of the, the prologue, you could say. They sort of set the stage for the entire book of Psalms. And so we're going to look at a little bit of Psalm 1 today, a little bit more of Psalm 1 next week, and then two weeks from now, we'll look at Psalm 2, and then we'll start chipping along week by week working our way through the Psalms. Uh, But let me go ahead and read for you Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So this first psalm, we're going to look primarily at verses 1 and 2 together this morning. And that's a really well-known section of the psalms when it talks about blessed is the man and the delight of the law or delights in the law of the Lord. Uh, And then we'll look at the latter half of the psalm next week. But this first psalm is all about following the Lord, about being counted among the blessed. And who are the blessed? Like the blessed are the followers of God, the followers of Jesus, if we were to say on this side of the cross, that's how we would define it. But one of the, one of the realities, if you are a follower, if you are counted among the children of God, it means that you are blessed. Not that you can be blessed, 
There are blessings that we do receive, there are blessings we do experience, there are blessings that we deny ourselves through our actions and activities, but the status of being blessed belongs to those who God has set his affection on. And so we are counted among the blessed. Uh, Luke Combs has a song out right now. It's number one on the country charts, and Eric Church sings along with him in this song. It's called It Does to Me, super catchy song. And in that song, you have Luke essentially kind of giving us a window into how he sees himself. I don't know if he wrote the song, so somebody is giving us a window into how they see themselves, and Luke sings about it. But one of the, some of the ways that he defines himself, he's, he talks about what a good brother he is. He talks about what a great significant other he is, and he talks about what a good friend he is, and he does it in such a way that he's not really kind of making himself out to be a big deal, but really wanting us to understand, hey, these are things that matter to me. I want to be a good brother. I want to be known as a good lover. I want to be known as a good friend. These are things that matter to me. These are how I define myself. And here in Psalm 1, we have the psalmist helping us understand how we should be defining ourselves as those who are the blessed, those who are God's people. And Psalm 1 gives us the framework here. If you are counted among the blessed, that means that you're defined by who you follow and what you love. The blessed followers of God are those who follow the Lord and love the Lord. That's what it means. That's how we define ourselves as those who are blessed. We're the followers and the lovers of the Lord. And that's what we're going to talk about very briefly this morning. That first idea that the psalmist shares with us is who's blessed? The blessed ones are those who follow the Lord as opposed to following the world. So if you've got your copy of God's Word and you want to look at verses 1 and 2 with me, uh, right here we have the psalmist saying, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So what we have here implicit in this is the psalmist telling us, hey, you're going to follow someone. Are you going to follow the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers, or the way that we're going to define that is the world? Are you going to follow the world or are you going to delight in the law of the Lord? Are you going to follow the Lord? Those are the two. That's the dichotomy here. We wish it was a little bit more nuanced than that, but it's not. You're following someone, and that someone or something is either leading you in the way of the world or you're following the Lord. Those are your two options. And it's not, the issue is not that we shouldn't be followers. You and I are designed to be followers. So it's good and right that we are looking to be led because we are not the end-all, be-all ourselves. We need to be led. The question is, who are we letting lead us. And if you think about our world right now, everyone is telling you, follow me. Follow me. Follow my perspective. Follow my leader. Follow my philosophy. Follow my convictions, whatever it may be. Everyone's telling us they want to lead us. And honestly, we're telling other people through social media and through conversation that whether explicitly or implicitly, want them to follow us as well. And so you and I have to be vetting who we are letting lead us. Because there are a lot of voices that will lead us in following the world. We need to be listening to the voices that are going to lead us to follow the Lord. That's what our world needs. That's what we need. That's what we're called into. Now, the psalmist starts out by telling us, who should you not follow? You should not follow the world. That's what he means when he says sinners, scoffers, and the wicked. Don't follow the ways of the world. He doesn't have in his mind a specific person. He's not like, don't follow that wicked person. Don't follow that specific scoffer. He just, he's using an edge here. He's saying, when you are following the world, you need to understand if you're not following the Lord, the influence that is uh, taking hold of you, it does not love you, it does not care for you, it does not want you to flourish, it wants you to be subjected to it. That's why he uses this edge language of the wicked, the scoffers, and the sinners. He's trying to be 
uh, just blunt with us. Hey, when you're not following the Lord, whoever you are following does not want your best. And so he uses this language. And it's generally agreed upon that the, the psalmist here is actually showing us when he says, when don't, you know, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, don't stand in the presence of the sinners, and don't seat, sit in the seat of the scoffers, there's a dissent that's going on here. He's saying, if you follow the world, the first thing that's going to take place is you're going to start listening to the counsel of the world. And when that starts sounding really good to you, you're going to start standing comfortably in rhythms of the world. And when you become so comfortable in those rhythms of the world, you're just going to sit down and settle, and that's going to be your paradigm, and you're going to live out of it forever. That's the dissent that we see here in the language of the, the psalmist. You can sort of see, he, he uses that language because you've got somebody standing over here and they're listening to what's being said, taking counsel, and then they kind of join that gathering and move in closer, and then the idea of seat, being seated is to just take up residence in it. That's what he is warning us against when it comes to following the world. And when he talks about following in the counsel of the world, it made me think of Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. It says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. So when we hear, when we have someone seeking to lead us and they're giving us counsel, if that counsel sounded like death to us, we wouldn't take it. I mean, we've all heard really bad advice before and we just like a flag goes off, we're like, ah, no thanks. I'm going to pass on that. But the reality is that oftentimes the world to use just generally, the world is going to give us advice that sounds exactly like what we wanted to hear. It's not going to sound like death. If you think, and I'm just going to step, I'm going to step a little bit into a hornet's nest, and I'm going to step out of it real quick. Whichever cable news network you prefer is going to tell you what you want to hear. And when you listen to them and you hear their counsel, you're going to say, absolutely. And then when you flip over to the other one, or the other 17, and they don't say what you want to hear, you're going to say, absolutely not. That's the way of death. But there's a strong possibility that what you're hearing is just various facets of the way of death. Because they don't want your flourishing. They don't want you to be following the Lord. They want you to follow them. And I'm going to step back out of that for a second. There's this, there's this quote from A.W. Pink. He passed away some years ago. I think it's really helpful for us. He said this, alas, that's how you know he died a long time ago. <laughs> he said, alas, how many professing Christians regulate their lives by the advice and suggestions of ungodly friends and relatives, heeding such counsel in their business career, their social life, the furnishings and decorating of their homes, their dress and diet, and the choice of school or vocation for their children. So that's one of those ouch quotes where A.W. Pink says, how many of us are looking for experts to tell us how to live that don't care about what Jesus has said about how to live? And I want us to think about who is influencing us? Who have we allowed to have that voice? And there was a time back before the world became so uh, expert-centric, you might have one or two people and you would let them speak into all these different areas of your life, but more than likely you're like me and I have just a, a host of areas of my life and I want a host of experts to speak into that. The person that's going to speak into how I should structure my stock portfolio is not the person I'm going to go to to help me know uh, how to track my child's reading development. Those are going to be two different experts that I'm looking for. 
If someone wants to talk to me about my cholesterol levels, I'm going to assume it's not the guy who's going to help me install uh, a new garbage disposal. Like we have experts for everything. But by having experts for everything, what we've done is we've subdivided our life and we've let so many people have influence that we've actually not vetted them to see, hey, does this person actually going to be leading me to follow the Lord? Now, I will say, when it comes to garbage disposals, I don't think that's as crucial of a conversation. But in a lot of other areas, we're letting an expert tell us, here's what you should do based on my expertise, and we're not comparing it to, is this actually someone leading me to follow the Lord in this area of my life? And then we move from there. So you're walking in the counsel of the world, and it leads to standing in the way of the, Lord, of the world. And we, a lot of times we think standing in the way means like to stand against. That's not what the psalmist means. He means to sort of get into the rhythms, to stand in the rhythms of the world. And this is what happens when you stand in the rhythms of the world. You go from making rationalizations, like I heard this good advice from X, Y, or Z, it sounded really good to me, and so now I'm going to rationalize it, and I'm going to say, actually, it's not just good advice. That's just the way the world works. That's a truism. So I see this progression that goes from the counsel of the world to standing in the way of the world. That's when you start making statements like, well, every guy has thoughts like these, and, and it's just part of being male. Like, we just, we're aggressive, and we say things without thinking, and we, we objectify. Like, that's just what men do. That's just part of being male. That's called rationalizing and then labeling it a truism and saying every other male is like this, therefore it's just inherent to being male, and therefore it's okay if I live and speak and act in these ways. Or if you, maybe for you, it's like, well, all women need details because details are the currency of relationship. And so I'm just being female. Like I get details about somebody's life, I share those details because I have to invest into a relationship. Don't call it gossip, call it relationship investment. Like that's what every woman has to do if she's going to be known and, and no other women. There's no other way, this is just how it is. Or life's really stressful. My life's really stressful. Your life is really stressful. We all have our own ways of dealing with stress. So don't tell me I shouldn't binge on Netflix. Don't tell me I shouldn't have that fifth beer. Don't tell me that I shouldn't go to that website. I have to release stress somehow. You do your stress relief, I'll do my stress relief. That's taking a rationalization and calling it a truism. It means I'm, my rhythms of life are going to incorporate the things I wanted to hear. And then lastly... The psalmist says, don't seat, sit in that seat alongside the world. Don't let that become your paradigm. Don't let that become so entrenched that the way you see the world is shaped by people who don't love you and don't love your Savior. It will happen incrementally. So that's who we're not supposed to follow. Who are we supposed to follow? The Lord. Follow the Lord. And that's what's implied here when the psalmist says that we're supposed to delight and meditate in the law. There in verse 2, he says, The blessed man, the blessed one, has his delight in the law of the Lord, not his law. He meditates day and night. That means that he's following the Lord. He wants the Lord to be shaping how he lives his life, how he sees his life. And for us, what the question becomes, all right, well, what does it look like if I'm going to follow the Lord? It looks like loving him and loving his leadership. So who do we follow? We follow the Lord. And what does it look like to follow him? We love him and we love his leadership over us. So that's our second point. What do the blessed love? They love the Lord and they love his leadership. And when we think about that, that first statement, loving the Lord, to love the law of the Lord implies a love for the Lord. You're not going to love the law of the one that you don't already love. Loving the law is a manifestation 
of loving the Lord? And so it's a very simple yet profound question, like, do I love the Lord? Do I have love for the Lord Jesus in my heart? And I'll be honest with you, like, I struggle in this area. I have an appreciation for the Lord. I have a respect for the Lord. But as far as, like, being in touch with my heart and my emotions when it comes to my relationship with the Lord, that is harder for me because it's harder for me in all aspects of my life. But I want it. I don't want to have a cold heart when it comes to my relationship with Jesus. I don't want to be disinterested or disengaged. So how do we go, how do we start living out a love for the Lord? How do we start growing a love for the Lord? And the psalmist tells us, if you love the Lord, then you're going to meditate. You're going to delight in his law. So start there. That's where we start living out the love for the the Lord, and it will start uh, increasing our experience of that love for the Lord. And when we think about this idea of loving the Lord by loving the law, meditating on it day and night, it means we want to have our life shaped by what the Lord loves. The one that we love, we want our lives to resemble his love, to resemble his priorities. And the Bible is not like a Boy Scout handbook. I wish it was because that's how I'm, I'm not, I actually didn't stay in the Boy Scouts for very long. But I do love handbooks. I like to be able to say, I want to know about X. Let me go to the chapter that deals with X. And that's one of the great things about the Boy Scout handbook, Wyatt was looking at my old copy, and I used to have my dad's old copy from when he was in the Boy Scouts. And if you want to know how to fi- you know, start a fire, you just look and you go to the back, and where do you learn about fire starting? On page 74. You're like, how, what do you do if you break a leg in the wilderness? You just go to the first aid section. God's word is not like that. God is actually sharing his heart with us, and he intends for us to meditate on it so that we can more and more see the things that he loves and the way he sees our world so that that will permeate our hearts and we'll begin to see the world through the same lens. So if you go and you look in the Bible and you're like, well, what does the Bible say about pandemics and race riots? It says a lot about pandemics and race riots, but it doesn't use the word pandemics or the words race riots. It says a lot about how God sees the world and his heart for the world and what he wants to see worked in the world and how he wants his people to be present in the world. But it's the way that we learn that is we meditate on his word. So this week, I'd encourage you, jump into the word, jump into the Bible reading plan if you haven't. If you have, dive back into it. It's not a checklist. God may be talking to you this week about the pandemic or about racial justice, or he may not. He may be talking to you about something that you didn't realize you needed to hear until three or four months from now. But the fact that you've been dwelling on what he's saying and meditating on it means that he's forming your heart so you'll be able to see the world more the way that he sees it. And so you could sort of take what the the psalmist said negatively about the following the world and you could actually make it a positive. We need to seek the counsel of the Lord. We need to be influenced by the Lord. And that happens through being in his word, but also by allowing people who love Jesus and want to challenge us the way that Jesus challenges us to speak into our life. It comes through studying the word on your own, but also vetting the people that you let speak to you because it's not enough for you to just close yourself off by yourself with the Bible. That's a monastic approach, and you take all your own sin in there with you. You actually need to use spirit-driven people so they can help you wrestle with the things that God's calling us to. So get into his word and allow people who love him and his word to speak into your life. And then when we talk about standing in the way of the, of the Lord, standing with the Lord, develop not rhythms that look like the world, develop rhythms like what Jesus has called us into. And here at FPO, you walk past a sign when you came in. We see 
kind of four basic rhythms that we want to call ourselves into. We want to be people who love worship, who love living in community, who know that we're gifted to serve and realize that we're put here so we can accomplish God's mission. Like those are the four rhythms of being a follower of Jesus. And so ask the Spirit to deepen your commitment to those rhythms, the rhythms that Jesus has called us into. And lastly, sitting with Jesus means saying, Jesus, I know that every category of my life, that you're the expert who can speak into it. Jesus may lead you to other experts who can help you dialogue about it, but don't let your assumption that no one person is an expert on all things prevent you from seeing, actually, we have a relationship with the one person who's an expert on all things and who will lead us to flourish. Let Jesus lead you to other conversations. Let Jesus lead you to resources, through your network of people who know and love Jesus and want your best. We want to have Jesus permeate and also lead us in every facet of our lives. I want to honor the time, so I'm going to go ahead and, and wrap up here and just encourage you that, you know, as, the love, as our love for Jesus' leadership in our heart and in our lives grows, we actually will begin to look at our lives no matter the context and realize if Jesus is leading me, whatever's going on in my life, I'm counted among the blessed. To have Jesus leading me in whatever season of life I find myself in is to be blessed. We're going to talk next week about the experience of blessing, about being a tree planted by streams of water and prospering. We're going to talk about all of that, but that's for next week. But going into this week, I want you to know as Jesus leads you, no matter what you're going through, the fact that Jesus is leading you means that you are counted among the blessed. The one who loves you is leading you, and he's with you in the midst of whatever is going on. And that means that you and I can rest assured we are truly blessed. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thanks so much for this time to spend gathered around your word. Uh, I thank you for the way you speak to us through this psalm. I thank you for the challenge for us. I pray that you will help us to be good students of this word as we wrestle with it going into this week. We want you to be the one who gives us counsel. We want you to be the one who shapes us. We want our hearts to fall more in love with the things that you love and to be passionate about the things that you're passionate for. So we pray you'll bring us voices and also give us clarity and insight as we study your inerrant word. We pray this in your name. Amen.